Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Du lyssnar på en förbannad podd. Avsnitt 22 med Katta... Sofia och Elisabeth Hand. Hej Sofia. Hej Katarina. Är vi fulla namn idag? Eller brukar du säga Sofia? Jag säger jag brukar du kalla mig för? Jag kallar dig för Sofia. What's my name, yo? <laughs> Vad vill du bli kallad för egentligen? Uh, jag vet Bru- inte. Har du de... något smeknamn? Ja, jag tusen smeknamn. De som är närmst mm. brukar kalla mig för Fia. Ja, det gör ju Morris, min son. Han kallar ja, mig för Fia. Och vi är ju like this. Mm. Nu gör jag den här tuffa krossa fingrarna-gesten här. <laughs> Typiskt tuffest. <laughs> Fiat mm. kallas jag ju för. Ja. Det brukar ju heta på internet. Jag heter ju även Softlex på internet. Jag kallades för Ebba när jag var i tonåren. Mm-hmm. Jag... Ja, jag inte ha. Och sen min bror har jättemånga namn på mig Som inte är snälla Fisen Fisen, Fia Festroll oh. Kallade mig för när jag var liten Fast det är ganska gulligt, fast det är kanske ingenting man vill bli kallad för heller Nej, Fjabeluring Kallar han mig för Snusko har han kallat mig för Ganska mycket taskigt Fjabba är en av det som har suttit i längst Alltså jag har, jag har ju en väldigt tydlig uppdelning Av smeknamn För jag har ju alltid varit kattis Alltid mm. Tills jag bytte namn på min blogg för typ, jag vet inte, när Anna Anka var stor så var det någon som bara, din blogg borde heta Katakvack. Jag bara, det är skitkul. Och så köpte jag det domänet och sen dess, alla som liksom började läsa mig efter, eller som liksom har lärt känna mig via webben tror jag, kallar ju mig för Katta. Mm. Mer eller mindre. Ja, jag kallar dig för Katta. Ja. Alla, för det blir så här, jag lyssnar inte alltid till katta. Alltså det är så här, jag reagerar, jag har börjat göra det. Men jag liksom, det har varit en invändningsperiod. När jag var tonåring så ville jag nog bli kallad för katta. Jag är lite tuffare tyckte jag då. Mm. Det, en kattis kattis låter ju väldigt snällt. Men så är jag ju faktiskt egentligen en ganska snäll person. Mm. Um, Säger jag. Mm, jag tror att om min man hade varit med så hade han skrattat nu. Um, ja, jag... Jag tänker att Kattis är ju lite mer någon som kollar på en ganska mesig tv-serie typ Gilmore Girls. Tröttnar vi någonsin på att ta upp det här? Jag tror faktiskt Nej, inte. Och vi kommer ta upp Gilmore Girls lite senare också. Efter, efter, för, för, vad gjorde vi igår, Sofia? Ja, apropå på smeknamn mm. så träffade vi ju vår 
nya kompis Liz. Precis. Och för er som inte känner henne som vi gör nu så är det ju Elizabeth Hand vi pratar om. Ja. Vi fick ju möjligheten av Skuggy Company att intervjua Elizabeth Hand som är i Sverige as we speak. Hon är nere på Gotland på Crime Time Gotland och pratar massor. Mm. Och, och vi ångar lite att vi inte är där tror jag, både du och jag just nu. Ja, hennes andra bok i Cassineri-serien mm. Se mörkret har precis getts ut på svenska. Precis. Och jag såg nu, eller det var ju du som skickade det till mig faktiskt, att eh, på första plats och på tredje plats på Libris försäljningslista nu, över Pockets kanske det var. Jag vet inte, för de är ju stor Pockets allihopa. Ja. Så ligger Elisabeth Hern med Generation Loss på första plats och Se mörkret på tredje. Och vi tänker så här det beror ju lite på oss antagligen, eller hur? Ja, men det måste, det måste det ju det vara. Jag är helt... Och på Elis, och på Elis ska... såklart. Men... Och Generation Loss måste ju ligga etta för att vi ska cirkla. Ja, ja. Det kommer ju vara sjukt många med i den här ja. <laughs> bokcirkeln. Nej, men egentligen, det kanske man inte kan tro när man lyssnar på oss. Vi är väldigt ödmjuka inför att vi fick den här ja, möjligheten. Och att vi sen fick gå på... Eh, bokuppläsning på eh, Akis, mm. eller Akademibokhandeln på Mästers Samuelgatan. Och vi fick vin. Och, och vi fick ja. vin. Eh, det var nästan lika fantastiskt som att träffa dig. Det var det. Eh, det här avsnittet blir liksom en liten Elizabeth Hand special helt enkelt. Därför att det har varit speciellt. Jag, du läste ju Generation Loss för några månader sedan. Mm. Och sen så har ju den legat hos mig och så har jag tänkt läsa den men inte riktigt kommit hit för att du vet läshögen är ju ett ständigt växande berg av böcker uh, och sen så när vi fick möjligheten att intervjua Liz uh, så, uh, så kände jag gud man måste ju verkligen läsa dem och uh, precis som du så blev jag ju omedelbart kär i uh, Cass Neri som är uh, de här böckernas fantastiska anti-hjältinna Ja, och vi var ute sen vi fick till och med möjligheten att gå på restaurang med Melissa mm. och Frida från Skugge Company och då frågade hon lite varför för att de här böckerna har blivit så himla stora just i Skandinavien mm. och särskilt Sverige då, och frågade lite vad, vad vi trodde att det berodde på, varför det är så många här som älskar Cass mm. och ja vi hade en ganska intressant diskussion om det jag tror jag tror ju mycket för att, att kvinnor gillar Cass är just det att vi har uppfostrats många av oss att hela tiden tänka på andra mm. och så kommer Cass in som är sån här alltså hon skiter verkligen i etablissemanget hon skiter i alla hon är bara, det är så, jag är så avsjuk jag vill också kunna vara lite mer så här fuck off och inte utan noja ja men inte noja och så jäkla mycket trams man ska gå och tänka på precis alla ja, nej, hon är skittuff man... och sen så visst hon mm. har ju alltså, hon, det är inte så att hon är hon, har... hon lider ju av posttraumatisk stress. Ja, hon lider... Inte postdramatisk stress som jag trodde det hette när jag var liten <laughs> eller yngre. Ja, men hon, hon har ju liksom haft ett tufft liv. Eh, ja. Hon är 50. Det är också ganska ovanligt mm. att se en liksom kvinnlig huvudkaraktär som är 50 och som är så jävla kicka som hon är. Hon har... Vet jag, vad säger man på sen på engelska? På engelska nu, vi är vana vid att prata engelska som vi pratade engelska med Liz igår. Mm. Eh, men då skulle man, hon fightar ju inte ett drug addiction utan hon embracear ju liksom sina droger ganska mm. mycket. Hon är Väldigt mycket. antingen hög eller på väg ner. 
Ja, och försöker ta sig upp mm. igen. För fan, det verkar så jävla jobbigt. Ja, alltså, men... Jag blir ju bakfull av ett glas vin. Så. Ja, verkligen. Mm. Uh, men jag tänker att de flesta sitter ju säkert och väntar på att få lyssna på ja, Elisabeth och det... intervjun nu. Och kanske inte så mycket på oss. <laughs> men vi kan säga som så här att efter intervjun så kommer vi att recensera Se mörkret som vi båda har läst. Precis. Så nu kommer ni få lyssna på oss när vi pratar engelska. Mm. Det var kul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, och, uh, och polis inte minst för att hon var awesome. Ja, sjukt trevlig människa. Ja. Fantastisk på alla sätt och vis. Jättetuff. Jättetuff. Åh, och vi sa till henne när vi höll på att avsluta intervjun. Fast vi vill ju egentligen sitta här med dig typ resten av året. Men det var tydligen inte schemalagt så mycket tid för Nej, oss. Nej, jag hade också gärna gjort den här till en så här intervjuserie i tio delar. För jag känner liksom att det finns så mycket man vill prata om. Men nu blev det en intervju på ungefär 40 minuter. Ja. Som kommer här. Elizabeth Hand. Hello. Welcome to our pod. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> yes, we're very happy to have you. Can you say blessed when you're not religious? That we blessed. should be blessed to have yeah, you on the podcast. Can. Yeah. So or blissed. Oh blissed. You can that's be well. blissed out. That's sounds like <laughs> sounds like something <laughs> more like I would use the word. Yeah, well then we've been we've been blissed out for a couple of weeks since we actually were asked if we wanted to interview and oh. we were like oh my god yes we yeah. do oh. um, so thank you for joining us oh well, you're welcome thank yeah. you for having me we have both read the uh, general loss and available dark and we of course love them oh thank so you much. very much so yeah. it feels like i have 200 <laughs> questions just about cast <laughs> <laughs> everything is about cast uh but um uh, actually um I first started reading Generation Loss. I think it was Madeleine here at Skugga and Company who yeah. sent a few books to Kesta. She did, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I found Generation Loss and it said on uh, on the backside they compare it to Patty Smith meeting Patricia Highsmith. Right. And I love both of them. So oh, I was like, good. <laughs> go my to be read queue, fuck you. I will read this book first. And um, I immediately got drawn into the world of Cass Mary, who is... I love her, but I'm so frustrated with her that <laughs> she's such an amazing woman. And also, it's a relief to read about someone a bit... A bit fucked up. I was a bit just going to say, yeah. a fuck up. Yeah, yeah, she is. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> she's, um, I know, I immediately fell for her. And um, I, I remember, I read, I think it was Entertainment Weekly that said um, uh, that... It takes time to warm up to Cass. And I was like, no, it doesn't. I no, warmed no. up to her straight away. <laughs> I think men actually might yeah. have. Yeah. And, and I think there might be an age thing too, because I think some younger readers mm. um, took to her faster than older ones. I mean, critics, reviewers. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you can also, you can get annoyed with like when in the beginning of Generation Loss, she is going to outside of Maine to this island. Does it even exist in real life? Or did you come up with it? Uh, it doesn't. Really, I, no. I, it, I w- it was inspired by a real yeah. place. Um, I ba- and I basically took the little town where I live in Maine and I transported it and put it on the island. Yeah. So, um, in some ways. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, uh, but she's going there. She's going to interview Aphrodite, who is 
Oh, Aphrodite. What do you say in English? I just Aphrodite. Translated into Swedish. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so all the listeners understand. No, but uh, she's going to to interview her. She um, uh, for for a magazine. For a magazine, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I totally forgot what my question <laughs> was. <now. laughs> no, but in the beginning, then, when she's before she travels, uh, her father gives her some money. Her father works within the law. And uh, gives her some money, and she goes out and buys a pair of jeans. <laughs> and I got a bit like, but no, no, you can't buy that expensive clothes. I can, but, I can, I can kind of relate to that. So I was like, ooh, I have money. I'm going to buy a new calendar. That's really pricey. Why not? <laughs> she doesn't get a chance to treat herself. No, I know. I, I totally understand. It, but at the same time, you're going somewhere out on the island and. Maybe you need the money. <laughs> you know, the truth is, I really wanted those jeans. I really wanted those yeah. hoodie slimming jeans, and there's I couldn't, I I could not afford them. No. So I thought, all right, she's got a little bit of money, she can wear them. Yeah. So I gave them to her. Yeah, she deserved them. Yeah. I, I say, well, no, I deserved them. Yeah, you deserved them as well. <laughs> but you know, I couldn't get them, so yeah. she got them. But uh, uh, when did you first meet Cass? <laughs> what you should say. Um, that's a great question. I this book had several iterations. I had imme- I had um, initially started writing a very different book. The character had the same name, and uh, it was the the story tra- trajectory was about the same. It was a, a woman going to a small town in Maine, and then going to an island off the coast of Maine, and um, meeting a man. It was. Uh, supposed to be more of sort of a dark fantasy, a yeah. contemporary, you know, uh, fantasy novel. And it didn't work. I, I wrote maybe 200 pages of it, and I was like, for whatever reason, threw it out. And then I tried to write it again as um, sort of as like a horror story. But again, same thing, woman going to Maine, it didn't work. And I cannot really recall it now, at what point I decided, all right, I'm going to write sort of a noir novel. Mm. And one of my favorite books is a novel called Tapping the Source, mm by a writer named Kem Nunn, who deserves to be much better known than he is. I read it when it came out in the 80s. And I, I'd always wanted to uh, write a book like that since then. It was very influential on a small group, of, relatively small group of people who read it. It's kind of a cult novel. And I thought, well, maybe I could write this as like a noir novel. But it was the first time I had done something that had no element of the fantastic whatsoever, mm-hmm. even though some of my other things would just have like a tiny bit... And this one actually has sort of a shimmer about it um, in sort of the mythic underpinnings. Yeah. But anyway, so that was at that point um, I decided to do it. And I think it was at that point that I just, you know, sometimes with a character, I, I compare it to in a radio. I don't know, maybe people don't have car radios anymore. But when do. you're driving around <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to tune into a station and it's static and then yeah. you can kind of hear a voice cutting in and out. And all of a sudden the voice comes in loud and clear. I find that happens a lot when I'm writing, yeah. that I, I don't get the voice right for a character. And until I get that voice, the book doesn't work. And at, when I started writing this, it's just like her voice was there in my head. And, uh, and in a way, it was, wasn't so much my own voice speaking to me, but it was coming from a time and a place that, that I recognized. Mm. I was very close to in that part of New York. And actually, the voice itself came from a woman, a young woman I knew, when we were both like 18 or 19 and uh, her name was Leah and I met her because we'd be on the train coming back from New York City like very late at night to, to where I lived and um, 
and she lived in a different town, but as the train would head north through Westchester, people would, you know, fewer and fewer passengers until there'd be like just these two girls on the train, and this is like 1976, and we're both like totally punked out, and she's like there, and I'm here, and kind of noticing each other, and one, and one day she just came over and she was like, you know, who are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm Leah. She said, oh, I'm Leah. And she had this great New York accent. Yeah. She's like, what were you? Were you just down at CB's? Did you see that show? Oh, my God. Wouldn't that fucking great? And so she, anyway, yeah. so I just kind of, that was the voice I heard in my head, mm. was her voice. Leah, wherever you are, thank you. Um, so that's how it came about. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, so I was thinking about you, your previous books have been mainly sort of fantasy, science fiction, so it wasn't actually really a conscious transition into crime. Uh, it just sort of... Well, I had wanted to write a, a quote-unquote mainstream novel for mm. a long time, and, and I, several of my editors and my agent had really been on me to, to write you know, a serious novel because mm. my books, although um, I thought they were serious novels, but because they were, they were literary considered and are considered you know, literary science fiction, literary fantasy, mm. which is like the kiss of death <laughs> because it's too literary for mainstream genre readers, mm. or, or back then it was considered so... And because it had the taint of genre, you know, yeah. literary readers wouldn't read it. So uh, they really wanted me to do something that was more mainstream. And I couldn't see myself writing, you know, I don't know, like a Jane Austen <clears throat> novel yeah. for the 20th century. But I loved no- noir novels mm-hmm. and films. Yeah. And when I read The Silence of the Lambs for the first time, I, I read it and I thought, like, I could do that. I could do that. That, you know, Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. I thought I could do something like that. So I had that sort of in the back of my mind, and I thought, okay, this is when I'm going to try to do it. But it was very—it um, was a very unpleasant writing experience. Mm, yeah. You know, I'd never done something like that before, and I found that I described it as it was like working without a net. You know, the saying, you know, for a trapeze artist to have no net there, and I felt very emotionally exposed writing it. Because, and I realized, wow, when I write that other stuff, there's that sort of filter of the fantastic mm. between me and what's really going on, me the author, and what's going on in the world. And so without that there, I had to really think about writing in a very different way. Yeah. So it was a painful, it was really an unpleasant process, I didn't mm. like it at all. But it was after I did that, it was definitely easier with the other books yeah. that came yeah. after. Yeah. Because there's three books about Castaneda. Yes, three have been published in the US. And yeah. I'm working on the four. Yes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to uh, I have been afraid of reading books in English before because I just felt it's too hard to read something that's not your your own language. But now I I have to read it in English because Hard Life isn't coming in Swedish until in one year, I think. It's the third. Yeah, yeah. It's just too long. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, one of the most common things, I I have read a few um, reviews um, about generation loss, is a common thing that they actually do write is that it's hard to put it in a genre is it a criminal novel right. or, or what is? Do you do you want to put it in a genre, or do you have? No, I, I've never. I've always. Is it been, important? No, it, it's um, it's annoying. It's frustrating, yeah. and I've always yeah. found that from the beginning of my career, uh, because my first three novels were um, science fiction novels. Mm-hmm. Although they really, in some ways, were not. If they were published now, they would be considered dystopian novels. Yeah. But um, but they were you know they were science fiction novels but they were literary science fiction and they did well they got very good reviews and they got a lot of attention 
but it was you know kind of a narrow bandwidth and so more mainstream um, readers didn't find them mm-hmm. and I also but I didn't want to keep writing science fiction not that I had anything against it but I, I wanted to try other things so you know my fourth novel Waking the Moon was something very different and my you know glimmering with it they were all very different mm-hmm. from each other and I found that was a big mistake because yeah. um, back in the days when there were brick and mortar bookstores they would say well we don't know where to shelve you this book you know this is like a mainstream book and this feels like a historical novel right. but this one is science fiction but this one is I don't know like an Anne Rice novel and so it was very frustrating it is very frustrating for me and with this I thought well okay now I'm writing a noir novel that you know people that should be easy yes. but it's still less so I, yeah. I don't know but I can't think about it. I don't think writers can allow themselves to think about it because that's a, that's like marketing categories. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, that's you know if we make our livings from that, it can be difficult because if people don't know where to find you on the shelf or yeah. they don't know to find where to find you on Amazon, if they you know if they say people who love Gillian Flynn will love Elizabeth Hand, it's like ah oh, that's great, good. <laughs> but if they say people who love I don't know. Robert Heinlein will love Elizabeth Hand. They're not going to do that at all. Mm. So you know that. So it was starting out writing science fiction in a way ended up being kind of a. It wasn't exactly an albatross, but it was like a tin can tied to my tail, a long tail. Um, because even now, you know, people uh, not here, not in Europe so much, or or the UK, but in the US, they'll say, "Oh, so you're a science fiction writer?" And I said actually haven't written a science fiction book in over 20 years Mm. (laughs) so but that's you know if they google me that's what pops up first sometimes it does you've written for young adults as well yeah Yeah. but again it it was not my books are not conventional young adult novels Mm. which is I wish they were they would I think they would have reached a bigger audience if they'd been more conventional but I found I just was not I do not have a knack for writing young adult novels the, the editor who wanted me to do those books came to me and said I love your books would you do this and a lot of my books have featured young you know young people young mm-hmm. adults and so I thought okay I'll try it and I found I didn't do it <laughs> I, I was still writing about young adults but they were not young adult novels so I thought okay that was a lesson learned so I, I, I love some YA books and I'm very respectful of people who do that. I just I I personally can't do it. But I would not have known if I had not tried yeah. and failed. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what do you think about the uh, I I have read in several interviews that you are a fan of Patty Smith. Oh. So being compared to her as a as an author must I guess it, Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And also to Patricia Highsmith, could you can you see yourself in that? Uh... Well, I love Patty Smith. I would be, you know, I would be honored and flattered to be compared to Patty Smith. But I, she was somebody who I discovered when I was 18 and yeah. just had, you know, a huge impact on on my life as as an artist because it was the first time that I had encountered a woman artist a writer you know performer who was not you know damaged or vulnerable or and was a woman because you know growing up in the the 60s and 70s as a voracious reader and wanting to be a writer from when I was very young all of the role models for at least many of the women writers who I read they had like these miserable damaged lives Mm. you know Dorothy Parker Jean Reese. Um, Isadora Duncan, 
an Eisenin. I would read these writers and think like, oh, you know, uh, even Simone de Beauvoir. So many of them had to tie their career trajectory to a man, yeah. or they were alcoholics or drug yeah. addicts, or they were suicides, or they did, you know. And I thought, well, geez, I don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's a lot of fun. Um, and then when Patti Smith came along, it was just like, oh my God, this is like what this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. Somebody who's out there who is, you know. She was androgynous, and she just seemed confident and so sure of herself. Um, and she just was really, obviously, willing to really to push uh, against the the you know dominant paradigm at the, at the time. And I saw her first in 1975, and she was just she was such an amazing performer. And it just you know nobody was doing anything like that then, no. and certainly no women were. Um, and Patricia Highsmith, I came, I knew her work like Strangers on a Train um, from film. And, yeah. Uh, but I didn't read her books till till later. Uh, but I love them. I love the fact that Tom Ripley. Um, I love Tom Ripley. Was this great amoral sociopathic <laughs> yeah. character, and I consciously modeled Cass on him. I I wanted her to be like him. Yeah. You know, I thought he was a great character. But she, you know, Patricia Highsmith, somebody else who had a really unhappy, mm. miserable life in many ways. So, yeah. You know, so she was not somebody who I emulated as a, as a writer. But uh, I mean, her work I did, but her her life I, I did not. So, no, no, no. I, I I also read a few things about yeah. her, and she didn't seem to be the happy, no. <laughs> the happy one. Um, so, but when did you when did you start to write? Did you always know that this is what I want to do? I read that you worked at the Smithsonian, yeah, uh, with photography in the archives. Or am I? Yeah, that was just a job. I, I it was a fun job. It was a job I fell into, um, just you know by luck. Uh, no, I you know I always wanted to write as a mm. kid, and I wrote plays in high school that were produced by a little local drama group, and went to college to be a playwright. And um, in a BFA program, and burned out after three years. And I, mm. and I, I wanted to write not plays before that. I wanted to write novels and fiction. And after three years of, of really intense study of plays, I thought this is really hard to do. <laughs> I never, <laughs> I thought I'm never going to be able to be really good at this. And I wanted to be really good at mm. writing. So I thought I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and. I went back to just really trying to work on fiction, but I didn't have, and I don't have, a deg- uh, I have a, a Bachelor of Science degree, but it's in cultural anthropology. Mm-hmm. I eventually went back to school um, and, and studied anthropology. I, I think I was very arrogant. I thought I, there's nothing I can learn from taking a creative writing class or workshop, which was absolutely not true. Um, but I really was more in the mode of wanting to go out and experience the world mm-hmm. and write about it. But um, but I, I was I think I was almost thirty or I was thirty before that I was first published, which you know at the time I thought I was ancient. Mm. <laughs> um, I'd been sending out stories of the same story for a few years and getting a lot of rejections and yeah. and working. I worked at the National Air and Space Museum and you know it was a, it was a job that was fun. I enjoyed it. It was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the Natural History Museum. You know where, where there was an anthropology department. But I didn't have an advanced degree, so there was no way that was going to happen. So um, I guess, I don't know, I was uh, in my mid-20s, and I, I did, in fact, take a 
writing workshop. My mother gave me money for my birthday, and, and uh, I, I took a workshop at the Writers Center in DC, and uh, with Richard Grant, who later became my partner, as my kid's dad. And we were not together now for many years, but we're still, you know, close and live nearby. And anyway, he was a writer who was. Um, leaving the workshop and he was very encouraging of me and all of a sudden I thought like wow maybe I can do this so I sent a story out and it, it got published and that was sort of like the little door kind yeah. of cracking open a teeny tiny bit um, but it took a while yeah. I, my first novel didn't come out till I was 33 uh, and I, I teach in an MFA program now and I also teach a lot of writing workshops in the US and people are um, you know, very impatient to be published. Yeah. And many people, I think, these days are published too young. You know, YA is such a booming field. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of young writers come up and, and get published before they have a chance to really develop their chops as writers. And the publishing industry over there, anyway, is, you know, YA is the one growth part of the industry. So everybody is looking to publish yeah. young adult writers. Yeah. And they want them to be written by young adult writers. Mm. So, you know, they want books for YA readers written by uh, young adult writers so I do often see people who just you know they if they took a little more time I think you know it's harder to wait obviously but I think their writing might be better for it yeah I think any, if I had published when I was 22 or 23 years old I don't think I would be publishing now I think I would have you know I wasn't good enough to you know not that I'm great now but I, I would I had not developed enough to have any staying power I had, you yeah. know, I think you, you, just as if you're a marathon runner, you, you kind of develop that over time. It must be a hard field to be in with rejections and often having to rewrite your work quite a lot in the editing process. Yes, so, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and it can be. You have to have on the one hand, you really can't have any ego whatsoever. Yeah. Because if you know. Uh, you do, you're just going to get kicked to the curb mm. again and again. But on the other hand, you really do have to have like a really strong sense of yourself and what you can do because you're not going to get that from anyone else. You know, you're not going to get it from uh, readers or publishers or, or editors. You know, you, you'll get the support from your agent mm. because she works for you, um, works with you. But you really have to get that from yourself. And I tell my students all the time, you have to love the process of writing. If you don't love the actual sitting there and doing it, don't bother doing it because you're not going to get enough of a reward to make it worth it. Nobody in the world is going to love your book as much as you do, whether it's a good or a bad book. You know, That's the other thing I tell my students. Mm. It's just It takes as much time and energy and love and passion to write a bad book as it does to write a good mm. one. And you know, people fail all the time. I fail all the time. And... You just have to, you know, you don't ever get used to it. It's not fun, but it's kind of, it's a part of the job that I think doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, nobody goes on, nobody's going on Facebook, and I'm certainly not going to go on Facebook and say like, oh my God, you know, the best story I ever wrote got like rejected by the New Yorker editor today, and here's their rejection (laughs) letter. You know, no one's going to put that up there. Um, Everybody's always talking about, you know, their success. I think people are afraid of exposing the fact that a lot of us, it's just, it is really, it's, it's tough. If you're an artist, it's always tough, you know, there's always that risk. But if you don't take that, I don't think it's really worth trying to do it. I read, um, <clears throat> I don't, I'm not sure if the English title is probably called The Wife by Meg Wolitzer. Yeah. Oh, uh, Meg Wolitzer. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I read that book uh, a few months ago, and in the beginning of the book, uh, it's about a man and a woman and their authors, and the female author, they go to a party, and then another female author comes up to her and says, well, don't do it. I heard you're good at writing, but uh, you're a woman and you have no chance. They, mm. they will only give all the energy to, to interesting men. This was, I think, in the 60s mm. in the book. Um, was that how was it like that? Maybe not in in, in sixties, but was it harder to be a female author in the beginning? And has it been easier? Has it changed over the years? I don't know that it was. I don't feel that it was harder for me. No. Um, I think that a lot of people paved the way <clears throat> uh, for writers like me, mm. <coughs> writers of my generation. There'd been a lot of feminists, especially in science fiction, yeah. you know, uh, feminist science fiction writers and writers like Angela Carter, who were out there. Um, so by the time I started getting published, which was the late 80s, you know, we had not won the war, but there'd been, you know, a few skirmishes that we, you know, women feminists had won. Um, I do think, um, I, I think with generation loss, and actually with some of my other work too, um, because from the get-go, I've been writing about women characters who I thought were strong. Just like, you know, I mean, not strong positively necessarily, but just had strong personalities. Mm. Um, many of them very flawed. You know, many of them really fucked up, mentally ill or whatever, with all kinds of issues. And I did get some pushback from editors on that. I had um, an early novella called The Boy in the Tree, which was a first-person narrative of, uh, from the point of view of a very damaged woman in kind of a um, uh, near-future post-apocalyptic uh, setting. And I submitted it somewhere, and it was only... I would only had one story published at that point, so I really wanted desperately to get published again, and I submitted it to a very well-known editor, who I will not name, but it was a man, <laughs> um, who was editing an anthology, and he sent me back, I was actually looking at it now, it was a, it was a, um, a letter, a well-intentioned letter, it was a personal letter of rejection, and he, you know, basically was saying, you write really well, you write really, you know, beautifully and elegantly and everything else, but he said, but this is like the, I do not want to read anything that this, you know, I don't want to read anything that this woman has to say. I do not want to read this, you know, listen to her voice. And she just sounds like a, you know, he didn't use the term fucked up, but he was basically yeah. saying this character is far too fucked up for to carry a, a narrative. So if you were to rewrite this, say from a third person perspective with more distance, then um, I'll, you know, I'd love to look at it again. So here I was, I was thinking like, oh my God, here's a chance to get published with a big editor. I was so pissed off. I was just, it was like the one, one of the few times in my life, because usually as a writer, you know, you get rejected and you can think, oh, they don't understand me. <laughs> but I was like, he really doesn't understand me. And I like actually <laughs> punched a hole in the wall. I was so pissed off. I was just so enraged. I was like, who, what the fuck? And then fortunately I had, um, it was a simultaneous submission. I'd sent it out somewhere else. And within a week, they accepted it. And that ended up becoming the first part of my first novel, Winter Long, which is mostly told from the point of view of that character. And that's what drives that book. It's a very flawed book. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a great novel. I would not pretend that. But what works in the novel is that character's voice. Mm -hmm. And this guy was telling me, no, don't do that. 
And I got I, I got some of that was cast too when the when mm. Generation Loss was first being submitted to editors in the U.S. People were saying, no one wants to read about a woman, you know, a messed up woman character. That's like you know, they, they, nobody wanted to do that. They then. Of course, within ten or twelve years now, we see the market is flooded with you know, yeah. uh, very which I think is great with very yeah. strong female mm. protagonists with issues of varying degrees of damage. Eleven years ago, nobody you know, uh, and and over and over again we hear the same thing. It was like, oh, this is a great book. It's beautifully written. It's a wonderful story. Great depiction of Maine. Everything photography, but this character, like, you know, she's too fucked up. We you know nobody wants to read about that. But they do. Yeah. Well, that's what I felt. So, and that, so that was another time when yeah. I got really angry yeah. because I thought, like, what the hell? What, you know, what is going wrong? Yeah. Um, so I think that there, I think there was a, a cultural shift. I think yeah. the Stig Larsson's books, I think, had a, a huge amount to do with that. I haven't actually read them. No, I've seen the movies, so I, I can't comment on that. But I think, uh, you know, iconically, uh, uh, Elizabeth Salander kind of opened the door yeah. and made you know made the world made the literary world safe for really fucked up women. Yeah, <laughs> thank, you, <Stig. laughs> thank you, Steve. But also in in uh, TV series uh, such as Homeland, uh, I yeah. think she, she suffers from what what is it? She's so bipolar. bipolar. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, a great TV series uh, as well. Um, we have talked uh, a lot about generational generation loss earlier in the podcast since I I couldn't really let it go. <laughs> Uh, I was like stuck in the book for <laughs> a lot of weeks after I read it, yeah. uh, and it's the, it's very dark, and it's also it got me thinking about Twin Peaks, but mm. a more realistic Twin Peaks. Uh, I love Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was another watershed moment for me. Well, I, well, Twin Peaks, but even before that, Blue Velvet. Well, I saw yeah. Blue Velvet like the day it opened, and. I think in like an empty theater and I went with two of my work colleagues and they were both like (laughs) what huh one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why United Healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And I, I walked out of that theater and I, I was so exhilarated. I thought, holy shit. I thought, if this guy can make a movie, if, people, if that movie can get yeah. out here in the world, I thought, I can write what I want to write. I mean, I really did. I thought that. And, and like within a year, I quit my job to write full time. And then Twin Peaks, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. 
was just amazing. Yeah, from the from the very beginning, yeah. I just I, I loved that. Yeah, uh, it was just a, a remarkable, um, remarkable viewing experience. Yeah. So that and that was definitely an influence on me on those these books. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens to Twin Peaks now when yeah. this uh, new season comes oh, out yeah. next year. Or something? We'll yeah. be watching it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope he, you know I hope he doesn't fuck it up. Um, you never know you with never reboots because yeah. you just yeah. don't know. No. But um, and then a lot of the actors died. Uh, who, who? They were all in a bus <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the set. How are no, they but I think like uh, oh, what's her name? Playing a long lady. Uh, oh she yes, she recently yeah, yeah, died, yeah. and yeah. was it his name Bob Silva who played? No, yeah. um, Frank Silva. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who played Bob? Yeah. He also died. Dennis Hopper gives me Dennis Hopper is dead. Is he still alive? <laughs> <laughs> Major Briggs died. Yeah, you're right. Um, oh no, he was not. Dennis Hopper was in Blue Velvet. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, he he still died. <laughs> he still died. <laughs> and who was it else? Who? There's a lot of. I, I'm, I'm, a lot of people I'm dying. dying. <laughs> I'm curious on how they will solve it, especially with Killer Bob. Uh, yeah. The actor uh, not being being alive anymore, but. Um, God, Bob, he still gives me <laughs> nightmares. He was horrible, I know, that was so horrible, creepy. creeping up from the side. I, ooh, yeah, I know. I, I was definitely too young to watch it. I told <laughs> me my, too. <laughs> I started watching it. I think I was twelve or thirteen when it first aired, and uh, I went upstairs. To, and I know <laughs> my mother would say no if I told her I would watch this. I was like, oh, I'm just coming to watch something. <laughs> and then me and my friend, we got all like sucked into the Twin Peaks world, and we walked around in this little uh, southern of Sweden, uh, this little <laughs> shithole called Hofterup, <laughs> uh, and. We saw we saw like black plastic bags in people's uh, uh, um, uh, what's called gar- gardens, yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably with leaves and stuff. And we was like, it's Laura Palmer. <laughs> uh, and when it was too late, our parents realized they are watching this. Uh, but then the damage had been yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we we didn't we didn't stop. Um, oh, I mean, you got that sort of eerie vibe in Generation Loss and um, Available Dark as well. I love this um, yeah, the eeriness in well, them. Well, thank you. It's funny because I don't actually think they're that dark. People tell me, oh, it's so dark. And I thought, well, I, think I, I don't think that to me it's just, you know, I think it's more of a feeling sort of the general bleakness of yeah. Maine in the winter and then Iceland. I've never been to Iceland, but I think you describe it perfectly it's just what I thought it would Iceland be Iceland <laughs> actually did freak me out the first time I went yeah, there yeah I can imagine it's a totally different kind of landscape than what you see anywhere else that was bleak that was like that was where bleak goes to die <laughs> yeah. I can remember looking there across the harbour and thinking and, I mean it was beautiful but it mm. was just so bleak and I thought who the hell would who would decide to live here yeah like a thousand they years so ago much yarn yeah they do have so much yarn but they had to bring that with them because it's so cold they yeah. need the yarn but that's also a, a thing that I, I I thought about reading both books with Elizabeth of course she should she, she should have bought those jeans but still she's wearing two little clothes I'm freezing all yeah. the time Bad boots on oh, the boots. slippery rocks. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, boy, has she had a rough couple of weeks. It was yes. like reading available. It's like, oh my God, poor, poor soul. When will she catch a break? Uh, I can understand she doesn't want to be sober, actually. Yeah. Even though it seems so... Oh, I couldn't live being... Like, either going down or just 
getting high again. Yeah. It sounds... No. It's no. She has sort of superhuman powers. Yeah. It's, it's and not... <laughs> working within administration as I do, you, you can't... You can't. <laughs> it doesn't work like no. that. Uh, but you... So you studied anthropology because that kind of explains us a lot of... Um, about religion and mysticism and... Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff because I was thinking this, and you were thinking it as well I yeah. think this must have been so much research uh, that you've done to write these books uh, yeah. with the with the re- religious and Satanism. and also with the black metal scene I, my partner yeah. listens so much to black metal so I was taking up all the references all the time and he was like yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god and then I read an interview that you were listening a bit to Emperor and Enslaved oh yeah so I told Alex I have to listen to them now <laughs> this is research for the interview and I was like I will love it because I love the books but I, I didn't love it I'm sorry <laughs> you actually compared the song that you listened to by Enslaved to one of the songs in Frost yes Frozen, Frozen. Frozen. the English. first song in Frozen where they're like yeah, cutting ice from the lake it sounded the same I think no then I think Alex this might really... leave me now but <laughs> and I th- well, the music references I mean obviously this do you, do you like this you like punk music yeah, yeah I don't I mean that's sort of, I think everyone loves the music of their youth. That yeah. that was the soundtrack to my youth, mm. and you know I still listen to some of that stuff sometimes. But I, you know I'm not all the time driving around in my car listening to the Ramones. <laughs> I, mean, I listen to like much you know I have a much wider range, much more Catholic, lowercase C taste in music, mm. and I just kind of love everything, you know. And uh, I'm interested in all kinds of music. And with the black metal thing, I. I had, I somehow, uh, I had remember reading about those crimes yeah. when they happened because it was not long after we moved to Maine, and um, and there were some church burnings in Maine at the same time, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, this is really weird. There's like this, maybe it's something about this cold northern place that makes people mm-hmm. want to set a church on fire. <laughs> and then when I was re- I can't remember what it was. I was re- researching something for Available Dark. And, you know, I'd already been to Iceland a couple of times, so I'd done that kind of research. And I stumbled across a reference to these murders again. And I thought, oh, my God, that will work perfectly in this book. So I really immersed myself in that material and that world and that music. I have to say it is not my favorite music. (laughs) I listened to some of it so that you do not have to. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But some of it, you know, there's individual songs that are great. Like, I I made up a a soundtrack for Mm. that that I listened to that had individual songs that I really do love and, mm. and listen to, but I would say the bulk of it now. So a, a friend of mine, you know, talks about like oh, yeah, they all sing in that Cookie Monster voice. Yes, they <laughs> do. And I, and after he said that, it was really hard to take it seriously. <laughs> well, yeah, especially since they want to be taken like you know, they're supposed to be angry. There's so much. I, I was really into the black metal scene when I was a teenager. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. Good uh, for you. you. Know, <laughs> I'm not anymore, <laughs> but you know, wearing all the upside down crucifixes yes. and yeah, not into the murdering kind of thing though. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I, I could recognize a lot of these. I mean, obviously, I never really hung out with guys that crazy, Alabama, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you heard stories of people that did, yeah. And so I think this was, yeah, it's such an amazing read, both generation loss and um. 
available there. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting in uh, in both books, I I read in uh, some kind of criticism against capitalism and the oh, uh, absolutely, definitely, yeah. So, so um, in available dark, especially, yeah, yeah. And the other one too. They all that that is like definitely one of the subtexts yeah. of all of these books. That it, it, it sort of you talk about like she's had a really tough few weeks. Yeah, and it is it, it's. Um, the books follow chronologically yeah. one right after another, but I'm conscious of the fact that all of this stuff, you know, is really, really compressed in her world. In our world, like 10 years, 11 years have passed, and I'm trying to take all this sort of, you know, this the slow apocalypse we li- we're living through to kind of compress that and put that mm. in the background. So yeah. the background, you know, the news crawls in, in these books are always reporting like terrible current events from our current time but um but yeah I definitely you know wanted to um get in there some digs of you know economic inequality and obviously gender inequality Mm. and uh you know degradation of the environment the way that these beautiful places like Maine and and Iceland and um uh London have just been yeah. destroyed by capitalist people coming in and buying up the real estate and the property and you know not constructing these huge high rises that nobody lives in them because they're you know oligarchs buy them as real estate investments so they're empty they're mm. just like these these monoliths yeah. yeah what does the future hold for Cass will she <laughs> I, I think she will survive us all yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> hope so yes. yeah. her and Cher they're going to be like hold up so <laughs> <laughs> trading war stories and doing jello shots maybe doing a duet <laughs> yeah I'm doing a duet uh, I think she's just going to keep going yeah. you know I, I think of her like in the old fashioned pinball games yeah. Yeah. when you would play there would be a light that would go up and it would say ball in play and as, you know, as long as the ball in play is going, like the ball is moving all around the mm. the, the game, and I, I think of her like that. As long as she's moving, she's like a ball in play. You just don't know what she's going to ricochet off yeah. of next, or where she's going to go next. So yeah, I definitely have um, ideas for the next. I hope next few books. Yeah. Uh, so like the the fourth one is going to. Um, I hope I believe at this point end up here. In Stockholm, Sweden. Maybe Sweden, yeah, or yeah. not end up, but <laughs> midway through, um, come here. So I want her. She has to keep moving. She's like mm. a shark, you know. She has to keep moving, or she'll die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we uh, forgot uh, to ask you in the beginning, as I said, uh, our uh, the name of the pod is is a wordplay. Yeah. Uh, so we also every episode we uh, we start by talking about what pissed, pissed us off the last week yeah or did you have anything more to add about Cass I feel I can <laughs> I talk have, about I her. have so much more to add about <laughs> yeah. Cass but you know we can't be here for a week <laughs> but it, no it, I, I just love her I love yeah. I love Cass yeah she's me, amazing me she's, uh, I'll let I'll let her know. Yeah, yeah please she, do. I'll thank you on her behalf. Yeah. She has said to never do it. She's bringing cash, isn't she? Yeah, but we always start our episodes by talking about what what has pissed us off during well since we last recorded uh, an episode. So, what has pissed you off in these last few weeks? Uh, the same thing has been pissing me off for however many months it was just Donald fucking Trump I know <laughs> so it's like I have untapped reservoirs of rage no, about crazy. Trump that will not go away so that, that is just horrible, kind of on a horrible man on a not I'm, even a low boil that's just like a constant 
thing. <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, someone had this analysis uh, thinking that Donald Trump is starting to realize how much work he will have to put down in being a president. Yeah. So that's why he's saying more and more fucked up things because he d- doesn't really want to win. Yeah. Could it be that? Oh, let's hope so. Uh, but yeah. I mean, except obviously, he's obviously fucked up as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's really so dangerous. Yeah. 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 He's I, I, pissing I, me off. I share, <laughs> I'm, I'm sharing that piss. <laughs> 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 he's pissing he's just completely you. mad. That man. Yeah. He's, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you if you can only give us one book tip, what should we read? Uh, except from your books, which we will read Ooh, all. One book tip. Oh my god, that's so hard. <laughs> the book that changed oh, your life. Not the book that changed my life, but books that I love. Um, Edward St. Aubin's Patrick Melrose novels. I can't recall if there's four or five of them. They are amazing. They were. I think he, the first one was published in the 90s, <laughs> and they're just they're fantastic. They they're um, kind of autobiographical novels. He had an incredibly messed up childhood and life. He's from an old English aristocratic family. And basically, this is inspired by a lot of real stuff in his life. And mm-hmm. when I read the reviews of the book, it's, some of it is just so absolutely horrible. I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to read that book. And then a few years ago, a friend of mine who had finished reading um, them all was talking about them. And I was like, oh, I just, you know, it's just, sounds too disturbing he said you have to read them he said they're so funny and and they really are they're like dark 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 um but they're brilliant and they're also really funny i mean he he will you know make jokes i won't go into it you know no spoilers but (laughs) um but he it's just they're amazing books so i i would really highly recommend them and i i took me a while to come to them because i just you know i thought i'm not gonna like that i'm not gonna like that i love them i i loaded them into my kindle and i like read them all just in, uh, at once and I'm ready to go back and reread them okay yeah. that sounds yeah. like something we can't miss and I think somebody t- was telling me this morning that um, at the English bookshop because they had a copy of one of his books there in English that he had just recently there had been an, like a glowing adulatory article about him here in Sweden oh, right. and mm-hmm. that uh, they were hoping that because of that he might get a Swedish publisher so Ooh, yeah so. but anyway I would highly highly recommend that what's it like having your books translated into different languages well, it must be exciting but are you ever worried that the translator will do it justice <laughs> yeah, or the feeling might get lost <laughs> no which I don't think it happened with Linda I think no, Linda Skug has done a brilliant brilliant job yeah. translating them yeah I can obviously I unfortunately can't, can't read <laughs> Swedish I can, I, I can read French and that's about it but yeah they've been translated in a lot of languages mm. and I just have to kind of trust yeah. the yeah you know, trust the translators. I know with the Finnish edition, um, uh, I went back and forth with the translator quite a bit because there would be idioms or words or yeah. phrases that he said. You know what? What I, you know that they did not, they did not have cognates in, in Finnish. So we would kind of work things out. And um, also, since some of these books are set, you know, here yeah. in other places, I, I have to ask my friends like, okay, like what you know, what would happen here? What, who would say this in Finland? What would that be? You know, is this something realistic that would happen in Stockholm? Mm. So, um, yeah, so you just have to kind of trust the luck. I have noticed, because I, I, I love Nordic literature, Nordic noir, and in the last 10 years, the translations of a lot of the books in English have gotten much better. Mm. Yeah. Because I would find it kind of off-putting sometimes that I would read a book and I could think, oh, this must have been great in the original, yeah. but the translation was, was not good. Mm. So that I think that's a real boon for us. 
Yeah. Those of us who read in the English, that there's a lot of really good translations yeah. out now. I just started reading uh, Wilding Hall. Oh, it's pronounced yeah, Wilding Hall. Yeah. Uh, so first, I, I I was thinking about Manic Street Preachers when I read it <laughs> because they also had someone that disappeared. But then now I'm coming further in and I'm realizing it may be not be like Manic <laughs> Street Preachers. Uh, but anyway, it's the, it's the first book. I'm this is uh, I'm complaining about this almost every episode that I'm too afraid of reading in English. But listeners, I am now reading in English. <laughs> Well, we don't really want to let you go, no. but I guess we have to. <laughs> uh, yes, no, I, I think, uh, as I said, we, I, I could talk about Cass uh, for oh, like yes. five episodes more <laughs> and the generation lost. We can have a Cass series. podcast. Yeah, we should have. A podcast. Podcast. A podcast. <laughs> what a good idea. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah. Thank you. Oh, well, thank, <laughs> you. thank you. Very you very much. Thank you so uh, much. And uh, looking forward to read Harblight. Well, thank you. Before it comes to Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Swedish as well. And then in Swedish as well. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks. Så där, Elisabeth Hand, vad fantastiskt roligt det var att prata med henne. Ja. Eh, Faktiskt, att det blev en... För jag, jag hade ju tänkt mig att vi kommer dit, eh, hon kommer vara sjukt stressad. Vi får prata med henne kanske 20 minuter mm. och sen måste vi gå omkring och frysa för det var fucking freezing cold ute. Eh, och sen så får vi, står vi väl först och väntar på att bli insläppta på det här minglet. Men eh, vi blev ju medbjudna på ja, det som får gå och äta och sen även på att hänga lite på akademibokhandeln innan mm. vilket kändes väldigt trevligt också med tanke på att det blåste så jävla Det var fan typ, <laughs> men var inte ens så här sensommar eller tidig höst igår, det var verkligen typ november ute kändes det som. Mm. Vilket var lite passande för november jag tänker, det är en perfekt årstid för Casaneri böckerna egentligen så här grått Ja men verkligen. Väder. Som, som vi sa under intervjun eller som jag nämnde där att man, man fryser ju när man läser dem. Ja, det gör man. Hon är alltid hon är aldrig på sig tillräckligt med kläder och hon är på kalla ställen. <laughs> och det var lite som jag i, i, igår när jag bara hade kofta på ja. mig fast det tydligen var oktober i det hade jag missat. Ja, men jag tänkte lite det att det här det, det är lite Casaneri här. Vi har ju läst eh, Se mörkret. Ja. Vad tyckte du? Som är Ja, alltså jag tyckte att den var riktigt bra måste jag säga. Mm. Jag gillar ju att det handlar om svart metall eh, mycket i den som Alex lyssnar på för då kunde man liksom, dels försökte jag ju då som jag sagt närma mig black metal igen, det gick inte men också stämma av så här lite med honom, bara mm. det här och det här och det här och då, han hade ju koll på allting. Ja, um. jag, trots att jag alltså jag lyssnade ju ändå på sån musik för många herrans år sedan och de här böckerna de utspelar sig väl inte liksom nu utan det är ju, de är lite flytande i tiden och det pratade hon mm. om i intervjun också att det är liksom när Generation Loss förutom liksom tillbakablicken till 75 så är det ju liksom 9-11 har ju hänt ganska nyligen när Generation Loss ja. har vid men sen så är det lite flytande och så kommer liksom nyhetshändelserna som vi känner igen från ja, de senaste 15 åren bakas ju liksom in. Här i de här böckerna så är det bankkraschen på Island. Ja, och vulkanutbrottet också. Och det, ja. eh, vulkanutbrottet var väl ändå, det var ju typ när jag skulle upp till Östersund och tatuera mig. 
Jag jobbade på KTH i alla fall. Mm. För vi fick tusen jäkla mejl om dagen om försäkrings... Inte bedrägerier <laughs> utan hur man skulle tänka och lön och fan jag vet inte alls. Och jag ja. var bara sur över att jag inte fick vara på Island och sitta fast. Så jag menar, även om de här böckerna, de tar ju vid precis där den andra boken slutade. Och som vi sa i intervjun så har ju Cassie haft ett par riktigt jävliga veckor. För det är liksom... Ja, verkligen. Och i Generation Loss så är hon ju in main och... Dåligt klädd. Dåligt klädd i mig. Dåligt, dåligt klädd i mig. Och i äh, se mörkret så är hon ju i huvudsak på Island. Och det är ja. ju liksom inom loppet i, i se mörkret så, så hänvisar hon ju till. Ja, ah, jag var i mig för några veckor sedan och some shit went down typ. Den här boken cirkulerar ju också mycket kring fotografier. Det är ja. ju en kille, Anton Bergdal heter han va, som ja, kontaktar sånt. henne. Och vill att hon ska kolla på ett par bilder. Så han ska göra en liten affär med en som har ett par bilder. Och han vill att hon ska validera dem. Ja, att det liksom är äkta vara. Att det är ja. fotografen i fråga som har tagit bilden och att de inte är fake. Och med tanke på att hon, då, hon får ju uppdraget för att hon har gett ut den här boken Dead Girls-foton mm. döda och döende människor. Så mm. kan man ju bara gissa vad det är för typ av ganska hemska bilder. Alltså, ja, de är ju inte helt på. legit och för att hon får ju pr- titta lite på dem innan hon tackar ja till uppdraget så får hon se en av bilderna liksom via Darknet um, som ju är de mörka krokarna av internet som för om inte heter det Helgon. <laughs> ja, och på min tid så nej, jag kommer inte ens ihåg vart de här konstiga sajterna med blinkande giffar fanns precis när jag började hänga på nätet. Mm. Men så det är liksom de, de är, Det är ingenting som man säljer liksom På fotografiska Nej 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 nej, nej och det är inte Vykort i turistbutiken Heller skulle man kunna säga Utan det är ganska råa, det är döda människor helt ja, enkelt. Precis. Hon åker till Finland Och tittar på de här bilderna mm. Och i Finland händer det Lite konstigheter hon har ju även då fått kontakt med sin gamla älskare Quinn som befinner sig på Island mm. i Reykjavik. Så när hon åker från Finland sen så drar hon ju direkt till Reykjavik då för att söka upp Quinn. Precis. Um, och alltså det är svårt. Man vill, det, grejen med hennes böcker är att de är, de är inte särskilt långa. Så det är ett otroligt högt tempo i dem. Och det är mm. väldigt lätt att spoila, känner jag. Det är lätt att säga för mycket när man pratar mm. om dem. Och det vill, vill man ju inte heller göra. Nej, uh. men vi kan, vi kan väl kanske sammanfatta med att på i Reykjavik händer konstiga grejer. Ja, det, är det handlar om black metal. Det handlar om black metal, det handlar mycket om mytologi, no, eh, asatro. Eh, och alltså jag älskar ju sånt här. Ja, verkligen. Äh, dels... Och även det är det som är så himla. Jag undrar vad hon i tredje boken ska fånga för musikgenre som man tycker om. Oh. Undrar om det är slinsrock. Men fast grejen det är såg att punken gillar jag. Och ja, i och för sig, Black Metal uppenbarligen är svårt att lyssna på. Mm. Men jag känner ändå någon slags värme inför musikstilen. Ja, men alltså, för om vi tittar, det är ändå känner. samma rött på något sätt. Alltså, för ja. både du, alltså, jag har ju liksom lyssnat mycket på punk och jag lyssnar på black metal, men jag också lyssnar så alltså, slis är ändå det som ligger med närmast särskilt fortfarande, alltså nu, idag. Förutom Chris Isaac som vi båda älskar djupt inligt. Ja, okej. Okay. <laughs> jo, ja, alltså Chris är helt okej. Okay. <laughs> men, helt okej. Okay. Helt okay. Han, han är ju ingen Axel, det är han inte. Och OBS. 
Tack och lov, nu höll jag på att säga. <laughs> ja, som tur är för honom idag. Men nu tänker jag Axel långt... Ja, det har han ju fortfarande. Ja. Men du vet, nej. Back in the I days. alla fall boken. <laughs> <laughs> ja, boken. Åh, den... Väldigt... Alltså jag bara plöjde igenom den här boken. Jag var sjuka ja. social i typ ett och ett halvt dygn. Mm. Och läste på rasten på jobbet och på väg till jobbet och... Det är ju det jag ser fram emot mest när jag börjar jobba. Man kommer ha lästid ja. som är liksom till och från jobbet. Den tiden kommer man ha varje dag. Ja, men alltså, jag har ju nästan inte läsa någonting på min semester. Och Nej. nu så har jag varit tillbaka på jobbet. Alltså, idag nu när vi spelar in så är det onsdag. Så jag har varit tillbaka en och en halv vecka. Och på den tiden har jag läst tre böcker. Så jag tycker mm. ändå ganska bra att jobba. Jag jobbar när jag är på jobbet så jag sitter inte där och läser. Men äh, ja, den, äh, jag kände när jag hade läst ut den så men nu vill jag ju läsa tredje boken på engelska. Och den tredje boken finns ju men bara på engelska än så länge. Ja, den släpptes i år, den tror jag. I, ja, i mars i eller något sånt där tror jag. Det var inte, det var inte jättelänge sedan. Nej. Men den kommer inte till oss i här i Sverige på svenska förrän i september nästa år. Så att, som jag sa i intervjun, så jag, har, jag får ju börja läsa på engelska nu helt enkelt. Ja. Och jag har ju faktiskt börjat läsa eh, Wilding Hall ja. på engelska. Den är jag nästan färdig med. Men inte tillräckligt för att recensera än. Det kommer i nästa avsnitt. Eh, nej, men det som många har sagt, eller som jag har sett på i sociala medier när vi har lagt upp bilder på den här boken, att folk säger så här, åh, men jag vet inte, är den inte lite för läskig för mig? Och här skulle jag vilja säga en sak. För jag är ju sjukt lätt skrämd. Och mm. otroligt mörkrädd. Och alltså... <skratt> Ursäkta, när jag säger att jag är mörkrad Det är ingenting som jag bara säger Jag är mörkrad, jag är verkligen mörkrad Jag sover med, lampan måste vara på Jag hatar att vara hemma själv Så, men... Jag såg ju The Ring mm. Två tror jag det var mm. När jag var ensam hemma I en lägenhet i en stan Men jag sov ändå med kniv under sängen Och ja. jag är inte jättemörkrad Nej. I vanliga fall Men det var ju jobbigt att bo Precis vid skogsbryn och tycka ja. om Twin Peaks som liten, det var hårt. Ja, och, jag tror att... och jag skulle nog aldrig sova i mina föräldrars hus ensam nu. Liksom. Jag skulle ju ha väldigt svårt, jag har ju sett Twin Peaks, men jag skulle nog ha väldigt svårt för att titta på det själv hemma mm. igen. Jag kan titta på det tillsammans med någon, men inte själv. Men i alla fall, <laughs> det jag vill få fram är att jag är väldigt lättskad. Och jag tycker att de här böckerna var liksom lagom för mig. Mm. De, är, de är jättespännande. Men det är inte så att jag inte kan sova på kvällen. Även om jag tittade lite misstänksamt på svartrockare som jag tror. <laughs> Nej, men och, och, fast det är lite så här härlig känsla också när man läser en så här bok. Man sneglar lite över axeln och bara, vem ute efter mig? Så kommer jag ihåg att jag är inte alls någon så här tuff punkfotograf. Och, och det här tycker jag också väldigt, väldigt mycket om. Men båda böckerna är just det här intresset för fotografi. Mm. Jag... Är, jag skulle älska att kunna ta riktigt bra bilder och kunna arbeta som fotograf. Det vore ju awesome. Och det var också en ungdomsdröm för mig att bli fotograf. Mm, jag drömde om det när jag var ungdom också. Man kanske inte kan tro det när man ser mitt Instagram-flöde. <laughs> men jag vill jättegärna bli fotograf. Sen blev jag så här superrealist. Och jag bara, mm. nej men gud det finns så många fotografer. Jag måste bli för bra, jag orkar inte. Nej. Jag bli administratör istället. Ja men jag med. <laughs> 
Det gick ju sådär för våra artistiska drömmar. Sen tycker jag att det är lite sådär, eh, om jag skulle fotografera, och det är det jag gillar med de här böckerna också, att hon kör ju verkligen gammal hedlig kamera ja, med framkallning och filmrullar. Och det är det jag skulle vilja göra i så fall. Ja, alltså, jag vill ju inte få hålla på med digital. Få, alltså, då kan jag ju lika gärna ha min iPhone och ta mm. bilder i fel ljus. Ja, men det är lite så. Alltså, för det, ja, just det att hålla på i mörkrum, framkalla filmer, framkalla bilder, det är ju helt fantastiskt. Det är jättekul. Och hon... Alltså man känner ju nästan lukten av mörkrum eh, när mm. man läser hennes böcker. Mm. Eh. Jo men det är väldigt mycket, alltså hon har ett sätt att skriva på som att det, ja, men det, det är som jag säger nu tjatar jag om att jag fryser när jag läser böckerna <laughs> men man, man, man kommer in i mm. böckerna på något sätt och det var också någon som sa under frågeställningen som de hade med mm. efter, efter intervjun med henne på Akademibokhandeln så var det allmänna frågor och då var det ju en som tog upp det att det var någon, någon fotograf som hade läst hennes bok ja, och det, det var liksom just på grund av bildbeskrivningen att de lever kvar så länge för ja. att de beskriver dem så väldigt för bilden, väl. För det tyckte jag också just när jag läste böckerna man ser ju de här fotografierna framför sig man, mm. alltså, och samtidigt som hon är beskriver dem väldigt så får man ju ändå också lite spelrum för att själv liksom måla upp exakt hur, det, mm. hur hemska de är eller inte. Um, och det kanske... Men, ja. Alltså, vi efter vi hade stängt av mycket vi hade ju jättemånga frågor till slut så blev det så här, uh, glömde ju bort vissa av dem och vi frågade henne då så här, men ifall, ifall det skulle bli en tv-serie av det liksom... Uh, och för det, det skulle jag tro att Generation Loss och Seamark skulle vara fantastiska som tv-serier. Ja, det tror jag skulle jag vara skitkrypig. Ja, jag tror också det. Vi, 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 vi kommer nog skriva till Netflix. Alltså jag har redan börjat googla efter en kontaktadress. Ja. <laughs> De kanske bara inte vet om att det finns. Men jag, det är liksom... Och jag tror att jag mässade dig. Och, för det är lite så samma stämning som det är i The Killing- som mm. är en av ja, mina favoritserier som är liksom, och den utspelar sig utspelar sig den någonstans, något regnigt ställe uh, fan det kommer jag inte ihåg men är det ju men det är regnigt och grått och typ dimmigt hela tiden och det är liksom, man stiger liksom in i den känslan med de här böckerna det känns som, man känner det här råa i luften, precis som man känner när man tittar på The Killing, säger jag nu så gestikulerar ja. jag mot tvn som är bredvid mig som ni inte kan se Uff, jag blir sugen på The Killing, nu är det synd att det inte kommer fler den är riktigt jävla bra jag tyckte ja. det, det blev lite segt att de två första säsongerna avhandlar liksom samma Rose, drama ja, ja. Um, det blir lite segt efter ett tag, men nej, jag, jag tyckte den var riktigt bra. Det tog, det, fast den tog det lite tid att komma in i. Men eh, vad gav du för betyg till C-mörkret? Um, jag har inte betygsatt någon av dem än. Det står nog fortfarande att jag läser Generation Loss, men jag kommer igenom fem med båda två. Ja, jag ger fem till Generation Loss mm. och fyra till alltså jag, C-mörkret. Uh. För att jag, alltså Generation Loss blev jag så jävla... För mig, den var liksom helt puff. För min del så är det nästan svårt att liksom, särskilt i och med att jag läste dem jag la ifrån mig Generation Loss och så började jag med C-mörket på en gång mm. de låg och väntade på mig så för mig så blir det så här, det blir för svårt Sofia jag kan inte skilja på dem de hör ihop fem år ja. um, jag tror att um, de här böckerna kan jag nog säga redan nu kommer nog definitivt att ligga högt upp på topplistan när vi sammanfattar året ja um, Ja. Lätt att han kommer göra Suveräna. Och eh, på tal om att vi ska sammanfatta året Så det är jättesnart som vi fyller ett år Ja vi vet inte hur vi ska fira det riktigt än Men något kommer Nej. vi väl på det är typ... Ja det tycker jag, tycker jag. <gör> um, Sen så är det en sak Som vi inte 
fick med i intervjun. Ja, ah, jag vet inte vad det skulle kunna vara. Sofia har glömt det här. Hon glömde det precis i samma sekund som det, som det avhandlades. Precis efter jag tror att, att jag hade du har blivit henne. lite för impad av Cass och börjat ha droger. Ja. Det var jag tror om dig. Så här var det. Vi stängde av, stängde av mikrofonen och allting. Och sen så vet jag inte hur vi kom in på det. Men det var väl någonting med tv och så tror jag att vi nämnde på något sätt så nämndes Gilmore Girls. Var polis säger. Ingen aning. <laughs> But I love Gilmore Girls. Jag bara, winning! <laughs> alltså jag har nog inte känt en sån triumf många tillfällen i mitt liv tidigare. <laughs> Nej, men det, ja, just det här kommer jag som sagt inte ihåg. Nej. <laughs> men <laughs> Obs, det här var innan jag skulle bara vilja <laughs> säga att eh, motströms for life. <laughs> Okej Ja, nej men det var väl Har vi så mycket mer att säga om det här egentligen? Nej, inte idag och det här är det ni får idag Och det hoppas jag är tillräckligt För vi är så himla glada och stolta Över den här intervjun som vi gjorde med Liss igår Att vi vill få ut avsnitt så snabbt som möjligt Och sen så ska jag sörja någon dag Till att jag läser klart de här två böckerna Och sen ska vi försöka läsa någonting annat Men är det ens värt det? Jag vet inte. Vi, äm, jag vet inte. Äh, vi har ju faktiskt en pågående Instagram-tävling nu äh, mm. som pågår till på söndag. Där man kan vinna. Alltså den, äh, vad fan kan det på söndag? Är det art- äh, vad är det för dag som på söndag? Ja, idag är det den sjuttonde. Då är det inte artonde på söndag. Den 21. Ja. Eh, innan den 21 augusti 2016 <laughs> skulle, eh, fram till dess så, klockan nio på kvällen så har man på sig att tipsa oss om vad man ska läsa efter att alltså man har läst en sån här riktigt jäkla bra bok som Generation Loss. Mm. Och då har man faktiskt möjlighet att vinna Generation Loss. Ja! Lull och er som inte mm. har läst den än. Och, eh, faktiskt. Och ni som har läst den får vi hoppas att ni tyckte lika mycket om den som vi har gjort. Då säger hatar vi. Jag vet inte varför jag skulle säga det. Jag är lite... Jag hade mjölkstockningen att... Ja. Jag Tut. förstår det, det var en lång kväll Och det var ja. bebisar som skrek runt dig Ja Men Nej som sagt, vi är ödmjuka Och hedrade inför Att vi fick lov att göra den här intervjun Blissed out som, Blissed out ja, verkligen. Och även att Katta Kom på att vi måste göra En podd om Cass som ska heta podcast. Ja, alltså snabbt tänkt jag var där när jag sa ja, då, så. Det är faktiskt, och då, det, jag tror att det också var off mic. Ja, vi har inte hunnit lyssna igenom intervjun supernogen. Fan, fan så. pratar jag? Ja. <laughs> jag menar, alltså, vi är lite international nu. Ja. Det kanske blir en English podcast. Who knows? <laughs> nej, jag tror inte det. Eh, nej, Däremot det så, så alltså det som jag kände idag så var jag lite bakfull inte av det glaset med vin jag drack utan snarare så här, att det var en sån fantastisk glädje ja, men lite, alltså, herregud hurra för livet men så kände jag, så här, Nej, men jag har till och med skrivit ett peppigt blogginlägg om det här och jag, det är så sällan jag bloggar nu för tiden så att det bara där. och när, när du bloggar så är det inte peppigt då Nej. <laughs> Nej, men jag bara kände så här, gud böcker böcker ändå, vad fan vad fantastiskt ja. och jag vill alltid egentligen omge mig med böcker jag måste, måste hitta ja. på någonting så att jag får jobba med böcker Mm. Alltså jag jobbar ju med akter men det är inte samma sak Inte samma Nej, sak det är inte riktigt samma sak Nej men jag skulle också faktiskt Någon sån här förlag Som kanske. ni hör det här <laughs> Vi är skitbra administratörer Båda av oss Båda, båda två, alltså verkligen Och vi jobbar bra ihop Alltså 
Jag skryter väldigt sällan om mig själv Men på att vara administrativ samordnare För en hel avdelning är jag faktiskt sjukt bra på Ja, så att, jag, också det är någonting som jag Alltså jag lider av dåligt självförtroende stundtals Men i, i jobbet så är jag jävligt bra faktiskt Så är det <laughs> Ödmjuka ah, podden <laughs> Tacka för att ni har lyssnat eh, nu, nu, nu börjar vi pladdra på här jag, jag, hej, Tack för att ni lyssnade Tack för att ni finns eh, Hej då Hej då Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.